sort of come in in a ghost ghost costume. <laughs> Announce now that at the um, the next sitting, the nine fifteen sitting, an old friend, the next staff person, Jenny, is going to read a Halloween story for those of you who would like to listen to it here in the hall. Tonight's talk is unintentionally but perhaps somewhat appropriate. I'd like to talk about fear. The nature of fear. I grew up in a very small country town and I remember Halloween night going trick-and-treating and there were many dark roads with no houses on it. And I was terrified. (laughs) So tonight it's how to understand that emotion. When we look at the nature of our Dharma practice, we see that on many different levels it's a path of opening. (coughs) Particularly during these three months, we can see how the opening takes place very clearly. For example, there's the opening of the bodies. Most people have an impression of their bodies as being something quite solid, something they're identified with. And yet as we practice, as we continue to look, we go from that sense of the solidity of the body, we go to the experience of particular sensations, the hardness and pressure and vibration. And as we go further into the experience of sensations, what happens very often is that there's a dissolution of the form of the body. We begin to lose a sense of the body being a particular form or shape because we're dwelling in the domain of sensation, of energy. And at times in the practice, this energy flow gets very refined and very powerful. So it becomes a formless field of energy sensations. And at times, the sense of the body disappears entirely. So we can see in the course of the meditation just many different levels, many different ways we open to what the nature of the body is from the coarsest and most solid to the most refined. You probably have noticed this process of opening just in the very simple sense perceptions that that arise during the day. Now, have you had the experience sometimes of hearing a sound and the sound just as if the sound slices through you? Because our bodies, our senses have gotten so quiet, so still, we experience these things with a tremendous vividness. And with this quality of openness, awareness, there's also an appreciation of the tremendous beauty that's in the world, 
Or as we become quiet and still, both inside and outside, you go outside, things like a simple leaf or a twig or a branch, because we're still, because we're paying attention, it feels very often in, in the space of meditative stillness that we're living in an entirely different world. I think it's uh, Aldous Huxley you know, who talked about cleansing the doors of perception. That's really what we're doing. We're opening our senses. And in that opening, we come to a tremendous sense of beauty in the world. We open the bodies, we open our senses, we open to many different levels of emotion, different mind states. Now there's a discovery in the stillness of practice of a tremendous depth and range of emotion. Sometimes there's feelings just sitting quietly, you know, sitting quietly watching the breath. There can be such strong feelings of love or joy or gratitude or inspiration. You know, maybe for particular people, it may be <clears throat> for the Dharma itself. Perhaps at other times we uncover tremendous storms of anger or rage or sadness or grief. And all of this is going on in us at different times. Our practice is the path of opening to it all. Sometimes we open to greater levels of calm. This itself becomes an exquisite experience to understand different levels of calm, of balance, of silence, of peace. Levels that we had not previously known were accessible to us. Oh, this is what peace is about. And then a week later, oh, it wasn't that. It's this. Well, this is what suffering is about. And a week later, no. You know, we open to, we open to silence. We open to so many levels of silence. A lot of the time our minds are so lost in thought, just the mental chatter, the mental dialogue. But at least at times, the mind quiets down. Maybe the thoughts go into the background a little bit. We're actually more with the breath or the, the feeling of the body, sense of quiet. We become more aware that we're thinking. And then perhaps there are times when we really notice that space in between thoughts. What is that space of awareness in between thoughts? There are many opportunities to observe that. Thoughts come and go so often. What happens in between them? What is the quality of that still awareness? We can look, we can observe, we can feel that. What is the very nature of natural open awareness?
in understanding this, we see that our Dharma practice is not a reaching out for something. We're not here in order to get something. But the practice is one of settling back into the natural awareness. It's not a reaching out. This settling back means that we practice opening. We practice surrendering. Surrendering to the process of what it is that's happening. And in that surrender, in that openness, is the realization of the essentially empty nature of this whole display of appearance. All the sensations of the body and thoughts and emotions the display of empty appearance in the natural awareness of the mind. So the question that I would like to focus on tonight is what it is that keeps us closed to experience? What keeps us contracted in identification with the various things that are going on? What keeps us locked? What keeps us imprisoned? Both in our meditation practice and also in our lives. When we look and observe carefully, we see that what keeps us closed to this open natural awareness are deeply conditioned, deeply habituated fears. This force, this power of fear, is very strongly conditioned in our minds. This fear of pain, fear of physical pain, this is common. This fear of different emotional or psychological states. This fear of impermanence, this fear of death, this fear of what is unknown. These fears are operating in us in all of these areas and perhaps more. What's so startling, what's so amazing to observe in ourselves is that all of these things, the pain, and the difficult emotional states and impermanence and the unknown and death, all of these things that we're afraid of, to some extent or other, are actually part of us. So it's really astounding that there has been that conditioning to be afraid of what is true. We're afraid of parts of ourselves. And as long as we don't overcome this fear or learn to work with it in a skillful way, we stay fragmented, we stay split off, because we're staying cut off from what is actually true in our experience. So it becomes essential to see how this fear is working in our practice and in our lives. 
And a retreat is such a wonderful place to work with this. Because as we practice, as you sit and you walk and you observe and you go through the day, it becomes clear that very often we come to the edge or the boundary of what is familiar to us, what is acceptable, what is comfortable. And it's precisely at those boundaries and those edges edges that the fears begin to reveal themselves. Now we go along, go along, go along, and everything's fine. And then at a certain point, we've reached a limit, whether with regard to sensations in the body or certain emotions or certain experiences that are going on. We reach that boundary and we can feel the contraction. We can feel the pulling back. No, I can't be with this. That's the place of interest. That's the place of investigation. So the first thing we want to do is to begin to understand what are the things that we are afraid of in our practice, in our lives. So we recognize, we really see how that fear is operating. We see what limits us and then explore the possibilities of being right at that limit, right at that edge, and going beyond it. We learn how to open to what's beyond our limitations. That's the first thing we can do. Second thing we do is to look very directly, very deeply, intimately, at the nature of fear itself. What is it? What is this force in the mind that has such a powerful effect when it's not understood? There is one tremendously empowering implication of the meaning of the word dharma. Dharma has many, many meanings, but in its broadest sense, it's everything. It's the totality of experience. Everything is a dharma. So what this means for us is that everything is workable. There is no experience, no situation that arises that is not workable. So what are the things that limit us in our lives? What are we afraid of? A big area of fear is physical pain and discomfort. We are conditioned to be afraid of unpleasantness, to avoid unpleasantness. It's a certain unwillingness we have which can go very deep. It's an unwillingness to be uncomfortable. And we don't like being uncomfortable. We're often afraid to be uncomfortable. And it's interesting to see how much this limits us in our lives. I had a very strong sense of this. My astrological sign is Taurus. Victorians like comfort. (laughs) So I know this one very well. I've seen this operate in my mind a lot. And I saw how for years I resisted going to Burma. 
all my friends were going off there to practice and and I just made one excuse after another because I knew how uncomfortable it would be. And so I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And finally, I kind of steeled up enough resolve to go. And the night before I went, I had this dream that I was went to Burma and I entered the monastery and the monks in charge wouldn't let me sit on a zafu. <laughs> it was this major anxiety dream. I've seen in myself, and I think it's probably not so terribly uncommon. We have to ask ourselves, in our commitment to Dharma practice, in our commitment to opening, to what degree is comfort the measure of what we do? Do we limit ourselves out of fear of being uncomfortable, out of fear of pain? The other side of this, which the Buddha talked about also, he didn't recommend self-mortification either. We should neither be afraid of feeling uncomfortable, but also he did not recommend self-mortification. There were traditions at the time of the Buddha, people who were practicing, uh, they're called the bovine and canine ascetic practices, you know, where people would go around acting like cows and dogs, thinking that this was leading them to liberation. <laughs> of course, the Buddha had some different ideas about where it was leading them to. In some middle pathway, we can look quite directly at how fear of pain is a limitation for us in our practice and learn to work that edge. You might pay attention to all those times of making small, subtle shifts of body posture. You know, we're sitting... That feels better. Many times a day, and it's something we hardly pay any attention to, the body's feeling some discomfort, and rather than even give it a moment's acknowledgement, our first response is just to shift, to change, to avoid that unpleasantness. You might experiment with taking some time of really not moving, taking a non-moving vow whether it's for five minutes, ten minutes, a half an hour, an hour, let me die. I'm not going to move. It's powerful. It's very powerful because we come face to face with our fear of discomfort. Through the power of that resolution, let me face it. Let me feel it. Let me see what it is. In the early days of my practice, when I was studying with Goenkaji, he used to have these vow hours it was three, three times a day. We'd make this for, for the whole hour. And by the, last even, by the last sitting of the evening, my knees, I mean, it was like a nail was going through my knee. And at that time, it was in Bodhgaya in India. He would begin the sitting with some chanting, and then he'd go off into a room just off the meditation hall, kind of reading the newspaper and chomping on an apple. And, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm sitting there with this... You know, with this vow, don't move. 
There were a few thoughts that went through my mind. <laughs> so that's one kind of edge that we can play with. And it's powerful to do that because we just see. We see the nature of the unpleasantness, we see the nature of the fear, we see how our mind relates to both of it. Do we keep pulling back? Can we extend our limits? There's another kind of fear that's very common, and it's also interesting in the practice, fear of physical discomfort. And I've noticed this over the years in my practice. It's a kind of fear of sleepiness. And I found this happens in two ways. Sometimes I would be feeling tired, and this fear would arise. It was just this projection into the future. Oh, if I don't rest now, I'm going to be exhausted tomorrow. You know, and I would just be projecting the fear uh, over a future situation. It's not helpful. You know, it doesn't allow us just to be there. The second way was even more subtle, and this is a little dangerous. So you need to you need to hear this in the right way. I saw in myself that there was actually a fear of the perceived unpleasantness of the feeling of sleepiness. And so every time I felt sleepy, I would get into this amazing struggle with it. I don't want to feel this. I want to be awake. I want to be alert. And I'd be in this struggle with sleepiness. One time I was practicing with Deepa Ma, this wonderful woman teacher from Calcutta, and she, she told me, just sleep three hours a night, and then don't lie down during the day. So that was very challenging. <laughs> and I was exhausted throughout most of the day. But I, re- I loved her so much and respected her so much. And she said to do it, I did it. She said, don't worry, if you fall asleep while you're sitting, never mind. Just don't lie down. But that little instruction changed something for me because it's like she gave me permission. If I fall asleep, it's okay. What happened was that in sitting with the sleepiness, I stopped fighting it. I just, it's like I just opened to the feeling of sleepiness. Now, sleepiness, in a very strange way, is close to samadhi is close to concentration. The mind is not agitated. The mind is not restless at that time. It's also not very alert. (laughs) But what I found was that by letting go of the fight, by letting go of the struggle, just kind of settling into it, allowing myself to feel it, what often would happen, there would be, you know, a few minutes of kind of dozing off, but actually it was, it was kind of dropping into the natural samadhi of that sleepy state, and because I wasn't fighting with it, I wasn't afraid of it, much quicker than it happened previously, the mind would come out and be alert and be energetic. So again, I say this just as something for you to experiment with. Obviously, if you find yourself sleeping through the whole hour, It's the wrong approach. 
But look to see if there's some element of fear which is actually perpetuating the struggle. Just something to look at. Another way fear operates with respect to pain in the body, and we've talked about this at different times, is we project a whole hours of pain onto the experience of the moment. But the pain in the moment may be fine, not much of a problem, but then we start thinking, I'll never last an hour with this. And we get afraid. We get afraid of our own mental creation. And there's the story of this Zen monk living in a cave, painting on the walls of the cave. He painted a tiger, and he painted it so realistically that he looked at it and became frightened. That's what we're doing with our minds very often. We're painting pictures in our mind. In that particular teaching it says, all is the brushwork of your own imagination. So just to see how often we create brush strokes of something unpleasant, something fearful, then we look at what our own minds have created, look at it, and become afraid. very helpful to see how this happens so that we don't have to continually get identified with that process. In a remarkable way, working with discomfort or pain in our practice can open the door to freedom. Pain is not a problem with respect to the practice. It's unpleasant. It's an unpleasant feeling. But its power is that it brings us right to the edge of what we're willing to accept. You know, you're with it, and it gets stronger, stronger, stronger. Can you take interest in the intensity of the elements? You know, we get such a tremendous appreciation for the power of these physical elements, both in our body and in the world. Usually we're living in a very narrow range of balance where everything is fairly balanced and we're in reasonably good health and everything's okay. These elements are much, much more powerful. You know, and in the course of our practice we see it's the same elements, you know, that cause hurricanes and cause solar systems to arise, and this is what the body is made of. As we open in our practice, this gets revealed. The power of the power of the elements is revealed. Can we come to the edge of what we're willing to be with, and then instead of pulling back out of fear, hang out at the edge a bit. Okay, this is okay, let me feel this. And maybe even open. Can we feel a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more? We see, we can see so directly with physical pain, just the characteristic nature of experience, the impermanence of it all, and the fact that it can't be controlled. It's following its own laws. Why is this important to see? So why? So it's impermanent, so it's following its own laws. Why should I sit here with all this pain? 
It's precisely through seeing this, not theoretically, not intellectually, through being right there at the edge and seeing how these elements are working, seeing that we don't have any control over it. It's out of that insight that we stop identifying with it. We see that it's not self, that it's not I. And it's so obvious. And it's in the letting go of that identification, the letting go of taking it to be self, that's precisely where we find freedom. One other aspect of working with intensity of pain, overcoming our fear of feeling this unpleasantness, learning how to soften. And the pain is, can we soften? Can we open? Can we relax into it? In that process of softening, notice the nature of the awareness itself. What is it that's knowing the pain? Now, the sensations are there. They're very intense. The burning, the tightness, the twisting, the pressure. Intense. What is it that's knowing? And is the knowing touched by those sensations? It's a very interesting question. Is the awareness itself touched by the sensations? Or does the awareness simply know? To work on many different levels with these painful feelings and the fear of pain, it's helpful to distinguish different kinds of pain that arise. Because it's out of the confusion of the different kinds of pain that often fear is fed. For example, one kind of pain is obviously a danger signal. Some kind of pain is telling us something is wrong. You put your hand in fire and it starts to burn. It's not so wise, just hot, 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 hot. (laughs) That's not discriminating wisdom. There's something happening. It's telling us something. Yeah, (laughs) take your hand out. So we need to learn. We need to become aware of that kind of pain. Then there's a Dharma pain, which is not pain as a danger signal. And this Dharma pain, it can happen in different ways. One way it happens is as healing crises. You know, we all have sort of the, either the residue or the present uh, phenomena of different kinds of disease or illness in the body. The things that have happened in the past or currently present. The power of awareness does two things. It's tremendously magnifying. And so whatever's there in the body just gets gets magnified tremendously, 
And there is also very often a process of healing that takes place. And there are countless stories from all the, all the great meditation centers of people actually curing themselves of different diseases through opening to this kind of Dharma pain. That the intensity of it arises because of the practice, because of the power of awareness. And people go through a crisis of healing. I've had this experience myself with tremendous crippling back pain. I was in Nepal and it was terrible. I mean, I every, every step that I took, I felt like I was crippling myself. Could barely walk. Of course, I was sitting with Upandita and if you die in practice, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, there was not a moment. So, on the one hand, I would have liked a little more comforting, but on the other hand, I appreciated just the I appreciated the unrelenting uh, encouragement, and it was amazing. It took weeks, and there were many times I needed to lie down and rest it, and I, I tried to take care of it as best I could. But I really stayed focused on the intensity of that pain, and it got more and more intense, and it's like my back was on fire. And after a few weeks of this, it was amazing. It's like the whole thing came to a head, and it was gone. And just to go through that was an amazing experience. The power of the awareness, the healing power of opening to pain. Again, it's important to distinguish that kind of pain from the pain of a danger signal. So, and this, this needs some discriminating wisdom. Sometimes old injuries come up. In one, in one retreat, he was also with Upandita, doing some walking meditation, and I felt this incredible pain in my leg. It felt like the bone was protruding out of my leg. I couldn't believe it. It was intensely painful, and I kept checking. I mean, it was so real and so vivid. I kept looking down and touching. Is the bone coming out? <laughs> and I did. I just very strange phenomena. And then I remembered that years ago, as a child, I had been running across this field, uh, flying a kite, getting the kite up in the air. Now, as I was running across the field, I was looking up at the kite, and I ran smack into a cement bench, you know, and uh, it was really painful. (laughs) And all of a sudden this image came full-blown and it was so clear that what was happening in the meditation was the, I don't know what to call it, remembering of, of that trauma. It lasted for some time and then completely went away. So there is a kind of healing process or opening process that's happening as we learn how to open to pain rather than avoid it or pull back from it.
there's so much to say about this, and it's such a it's such a, a predominant part of the practice of just dealing. We all have bodies, and we all have pain in the bodies at different times. One caution, one way that you can obstruct this process of opening in the name of meditation, and it's something I did for years, so I'd like to share it with you so you don't fall into that same trap. And that is, as we're learning to be with the pain, to open to it, just to feel it, to allow it, to soften it, be very watchful of any kind of interpretation you put on it. Because for a long time, I would be interpreting certain sensations as blocks. Because it felt like blocks. It felt like energy blocks. And so that's how I would interpret it. But what that interpretation did was in a very subtle way condition how I was relating to it. Instead of being totally open and accepting, it's like I was looking at it with an agenda. As I was looking at it, it's as if I was leaning on it to open it. Okay, okay, if I can keep aware, keep my awareness strong enough here, the block will open. It's exactly that energy which which keeps things locked in. Because right in that kind of interpretation, there is aversion to what's present and desire for what's not there. So it's very subtle. We think we're actually being mindful, engaged in the process of opening, and yet in our very manner of operating, we're actually solidifying. The implication of this is actually quite hopeful, which is we don't have to do anything about anything. There's nothing we have to change. There's nothing we have to get rid of. We can settle back into the natural awareness of whatever is appearing. It's pleasant, fine. It's unpleasant, fine. It feels dense, fine. It feels spacious, fine. It doesn't matter. When we understand this way of relating, this way of being aware, we come to a very natural simplicity of practice. We overcome our fear. Okay, so this is one big piece. And, you know, in the course of your practice, I'm sure you'll have many opportunities of learning to see the nature of pain, how fear operates, our conditioning to avoid it, to pull back from it, to contract, working at that edge, learning how to open, relax, overcome that fear, and go beyond our limitation. There's also fear, not only of physical pain, but there's fear in the mind of different kinds of emotions or psychological states. Now, we all have some sense of our shadow side. What does this mean? Our shadow side is that which is unrecognized and not acceptable. All of us are a package of qualities. 
There are some wonderful, beautiful, noble qualities, and there are qualities that are not so much fun to look at. And this is true of all of us. We can see how fear works in our minds in our relationship to the shadow side. And we see what's unacceptable to us. And for different of us, it may be different emotions. You know, some of us, the shadow side may be feelings of unworthiness, self-hatred. It may be rage, it may be anger, it may be grief, it may be sadness, it may be loneliness, maybe a feeling of stupidity. Could be could be many things, many qualities which we don't accept. We don't recognize. But it's very interesting to see what happens or the implications of this non-acceptance. When there are parts of ourselves, like all of these emotions, that we fear, that we're afraid of, that we're afraid of feeling, it leads to a tremendous sense of insecurity, of fragmentation. And there's this great inner pressure to keep them away. And so we're living our lives in this kind of pressure cooker of keeping away certain things that are not acceptable to us. I'd like to talk a little bit about the consequences of this fear, the consequences of this non-acceptance. When there's non-acceptance of certain parts of ourselves, certain feelings in ourselves, certain emotions in ourselves, what happens is that it leads, it leads us to a fear of not being liked, of not being loved, of not being accepting, accepted. Because we're not accepting of ourselves, we project that outward. Then get afraid of that rejection. And it all has its root in how we're relating inside of ourselves. And then it's interesting to see how because of that fear of rejection, this fear that people won't like us or people won't love us or people won't accept us. So what we then do to try to overcome that is hold on very tightly. And so we get very attached to people or things or situations. Because of this non-acceptance in ourselves of certain emotions, what happens is that we begin to look for others, to others, for a kind of self-validation. We look to see how we are in other people's eyes. Instead of that sense of inner acceptance, inner security. I saw this a lot in interviews, you know, especially with Upandita, who's (coughs) 
As long as I was going into the interviews with some idea of how my practice should be, which meant that parts of how it actually were were unacceptable, because I had this idea of how I thought it should be, the interviews were very difficult because I was looking to him for approval. (laughs) It was a psychological disaster. But it was so interesting, as I continued and as my practice deepened and I got more accepting of all the parts of myself, I let go of my image of how the practice should be, got accepting of what actually was there, I found that I wasn't looking for approval at all anymore. There was nothing to approve. This is how things are. What was so striking to me, what was so remarkable to me, was to, to see how difficult it was to come to that simplicity. And just, yeah, this is what's happening. That's all. At one time I went in, this was after, you know, quite a long time of practice with him, and I was describing something, and he just started going on this long list of defilements that were present in my mind. You know, desire and aversion and no moral shame. (laughs) There was this long list of defilements. And my practice was in this place, finally, of acceptance of how things were. I just started to laugh. (laughs) It was just so funny that in this one moment of experience, there was this (laughs) skyscraper of defilement. (laughs) But it was interesting because knowing what I had been through, I realized that three months before, a year before, if he had told me about all these defilements, I would have been crushed. Right? And it all has to do with this quality. Are we afraid of what's present? Are we trying to protect ourselves from this shadow side? Or can we just be with what's arising? Can we integrate all these parts of ourselves? With this acceptance, we get over fear. And when we get over this fear, we're no longer looking to others for validation. Because we're resting very simply in the truth of what's actually there. It's so much simpler. There's another consequence of not accepting certain parts of ourselves, you know, being afraid to feel certain things. And that is, we construct a persona. You know, we, we construct an image of ourselves that is comfortable, that is safe, that is what we think acceptable to others. But of course then we're imprisoned in that self-image. We're imprisoned in that persona. There's one last piece to this, which again I've noticed so often in my practice, and it's, it's a powerful conditioning in our mind. This fear of opening to the shadow side, fear of opening to all the parts of ourselves. 
is very directly connected to the comparing and judging mind. And I think you've noticed in this time here how prevalent the judging mind can be. It's so powerful in us. Do you notice how you feel when the mind is judging? It's very interesting. When we're judging others, or even ourselves in a kind of negative way, but when we're judging others, there's a certain there's a certain security we find. You know, we're defining ourselves. We're kind of taking a stand in that very judgment. We're finding that security of self. And just notice. Notice next week when the next judgment comes. (laughs) (laughs) Notice the sense of self in that judgment. But also how because of it, there's the sense of separation, the sense of alienation. And it all has to do with this creation of a persona, distinct, isolated, separate, yeah, I'm, this is who I am, this is safe, self-contained, and out of this, all these judgments come. But that whole structure is built on fear. Fear of opening to all the sides of ourselves. So it's very um, freeing to begin to understand how this is working and slowly and appropriately and gently beginning to open to those parts of ourselves that are uncomfortable, those emotions, those mind states. No fear of them, fear of the shadow side drives us to action in so many ways in our lives. We live our lives so much trying to avoid certain feelings. We don't want to feel lonely, we don't want to feel bored, we don't want to feel anger, we don't want to feel whatever, and it drives us to all kinds of actions. It's much easier, much simpler, much freer to begin the practice of opening. Okay, let me feel it. Let me see the shadow side. Let me see the ugly side. Let me see the unpleasant side. It's okay. They are just feelings. Carl Jung said something very to the point. He said, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by, mo- but by making the darkness conscious. The latter procedure, however, is disagreeable and therefore not popular. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> this is part of our path of opening. This is, this is the path of, of Dharma, of opening to it all. this fear of physical pain and then learning to see how we can play at that edge and extend our limits and open to it. 
There's the fear of different emotions and mind states, psychological states, which as long as we stay in a relationship of fear to them, they limit us in, in so many ways and have so many consequences for how we relate to others and to ourselves. So we need to, we need to learn how to open to them. There's also fear of impermanence. You know, on some very deep level, we can be afraid of change. And we see this in the, to the degree that we're holding on so tightly to this notion of self, of I. The difficulty of acknowledging the momentary arising and passing of phenomena. Now, if we sat back and just noticed what was happening without any clinging, any grasping, we would see this rush of phenomena, moment after moment. There is no security. And when we first open to that, it's fearful because we want security so badly. We're holding on to things for security. Alan Watts wrote this wonderful book called The Wisdom of Insecurity. It turns it just around. Looking for security is what causes suffering. The wisdom of insecurity, of opening to the impermanence instead of being afraid of it, it's a relief. We don't have to hold on so much. I'd like to suggest an experiment for you in practice. This is a radical experiment. Take a few minutes in every sitting, or at least in the sittings over the next few days, a week, and do nothing. Just sit and do nothing. Be careful that you don't try to do nothing. (laughs) Just sit and do nothing and notice what happens. I'll give you one little clue. Everything goes on without us. (laughs) I'll be interested, I'll actually be quite interested to to hear the results of this experiment. Take a few minutes in every sitting and just sit and do nothing and notice what happens. In addition to the fear of impermanence, the fear of things constantly changing, there's kind of a a reverse and somewhat strange, strange fear that people have also. It's the fear that things won't change. (laughs) Oh my God, this state is going to last forever. (laughs) We have this fear that whatever kind of difficult state we're in somehow is not going to change, is going to last. And so we get uptight about that, we get afraid of that. 
both of these kinds of fears, fears of change, fears of things not changing, all have to do with the solidification of self, the solidification of I. There's a great freedom in settling back and noticing how every appearance that arises self-liberates. That's why this experiment of doing nothing can be so insightful. We sit, we do nothing, notice what happens. The breath, sensations, thoughts, sounds, emotions, feelings, everything happens. It appears, it arises, it self-liberates, it's gone. Can we rest? Can we stay in that state of natural awareness? got about halfway through this talk. (laughs) So what I think I'd like to do is... The other parts of it have to do with fear of death. And the Buddha had, as he almost always does, very straightforward and direct teachings about the fear of death and also about (coughs) ways to work with fear when they arise. Um, I think it would really take too long to go on now. What I'll do, I think, is maybe on Tuesday afternoon, just as we had last week, the question period, um, in that last sitting in the afternoon, uh, the last walking period, I'll come and we can finish up on this, and then if you have some questions, we can talk about it. Um, it's a tremendously important area. As I've said, Dharma practice is the path of opening. What keeps us from opening very often is fear. And so we need to examine, we need to look, we need to understand what it is that we're afraid of, how the fear is operating. So we actually notice, we see that it's happening in the mind. And then learning, and we can learn, it's not that difficult. We learn to actually open to the fear itself. And in that way, the whole process continues to unfold. That's the, that's the glory of the Dharma. Let's sit for a few minutes.
have to make just one more announcement. Um, just yesterday, an uncle of mine died, and so I won't be here tomorrow. So I'm going to be going down to the funeral. Those of you who were scheduled for interviews with me tomorrow will be scheduled with the other teacher you see me with. Uh, so just be sure you check on the board uh, to see when your interviews are. Mm, right again. Thank you.